The reading today is from Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 23, and it's on page 1004. So Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? but they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is God's word. Phoebe, thank you. Uh, Morning, everyone. And if we've not met, my name is uh, Matt Fuller. If you've known me for 20 years or more, I'm still going by that name. So I'm going to stick with it, at least for the time being, unless I get into real trouble and then feel the... No, no. But um, uh, we come to... uh, We're working our way through Mark's Gospel, if you are joining us. And um, at a leisurely pace uh, in these early chapters... And uh, whether this is familiar or not, it's still very wonderful. Let me, um, let me pray as we look at this together. Our great God and Father, thank you. And we want to praise you that you're one who gives. Father, you're a God who is generous and you give. And you gave your people Sabbath and you gave them time and you gave them a place. And above all, you've given the Lord Jesus Christ in whom we have rest. Father, would once again we understand more of, would we delight in this gift? We do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one unusual thing about our little passage today is that Jesus is described as being angry. Chapter 3 and verse 5. He looked around at them in anger. 
and he was deeply distressed. Now, I, I, that struck me, and so a little, little, little work, and it's actually the only time in Mark that he's described as being angry. It's the only time in any of the four Gospels he is explicitly described as being angry or having anger, acting out of... Now, you might think, well, there's possibly other times clearing of the temple. Maybe, maybe. But explicitly, this is the only time, we're told, that he is angry. You think, oh, that's intriguing. Why is that? What causes his anger? Well, it's not hard to find. Chapter 3, verse 5. It is the stubborn hearts of the Pharisees, this religious grouping. Okay, and what's wrong with their hearts? Well, we'll work our way through it. But it seems that they were quite content to keep religious rules with hearts far from God. The presenting issue here is that they're more concerned with looking good than doing good. And behind it all is they just don't want to trust God. They'd rather trust themselves. And that makes Jesus angry. All of those things together. Now the issue which causes all the fuss, the presenting issue, is the Sabbath. And why get so angry about a day? Shouldn't we just be easy like Sunday morning and just chill out and enjoy this time? Well, very briefly, and I won't spend long on this, you can ask it is if you want, but here's a little bit of context or Bible background. I'll try to put it in a table. I'm not sure it's a very good table, but there we go. In the Old Testament, the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, keep the Sabbath, remember the Sabbath, it's two things really. It's a time and a place. Most emphasis is upon the time from sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday, stop. Stop your regular activities. But this, says the Lord, is a gift. Even in the Ten Commandments, most of them are thou shalt not or do not or don't. Um, uh, but this one is not. It's remember, here is a gift to you. It's a gift of time when you can put aside any other concerns and just remember. Remember, uh, Exodus 20, that I'm a creator God. Remember, Deuteronomy 5, that I rescued you. You were slaves in Egypt. But I've brought you out of slavery. So one day a week, make sure you obviously stop your slaving away. And remember me. And give thanks. It's supremely a time. But it's a gift. It's meant to be a joy. It's meant to be a restriction. It's meant to be a blessing to them. It's a time. And also in the Old Testament, it's a place. Uh, the Lord said, I will put you in a land where you will have rest, where you'll have Sabbath, where you will never be anxious about being invaded. You'll have no worries about uh, crops and the, the wealth of the land. There'll be a place of rest. And you think that's quite interesting. You come to the New Testament very briefly. That rather than being a time and a place, supremely now it becomes a person and a place. You come and say, I'm not worthy of God's love, but I trust in Jesus. He lived a perfect life where I do not. All that I've done wrong, he's paid for. I trust him. And when I come to him, I know rest. I can rest from worry. Does, what does God think of me? I know that he loves me. I know that my place in his affections is secure. I know that my, uh, my belonging in his place of heaven is secure so rather old testament this is broad brush time 
place, New Testament person, Jesus, who guarantees that you'll go to the place of um, heaven, paradise, in the new creation. And uh, then I spent far too much time reading church history from the first century onwards, and you can ask me about that. I was going to tell you, but it's... Ah. Um, uh, uh, you can ask. Um, but um, that's just the, the little backdrop. But the presenting issue then is what's going to happen on this Sabbath day, sunset to sunset, Friday to Saturday. Okay, we're going to look at it like this. Uh, the Sabbath was made for man. That's chapter 2, verses 23 to 28. The Sabbath reveals our hearts, chapter 3, 1 to 6. And in the end, you just got to come to the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath reveals our hearts. Come to the Lord of the Sabbath. So here's the issue. Uh, chapter 2 and verse 23. One Sabbath. Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some of the ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And you read this, and you think, oh, they are not fun people, uh, those Pharisees. Do you remember, I think it was 2017, I should have checked, uh, but it'd be about, Theresa May got into, it was ridiculed. She was asked just on a, uh, an interview, what's the naughtiest thing you ever, do, you ever did, you've ever done in your life, the naughtiest thing you've ever done? Um, and uh, she said, well, you know, as a child, I used to run through farmers' cornfields. Well, that's, that's it. I mean, and so much parody. Oh, my goodness, this is the most boring woman on the planet, and you know, much parody. Although, I do remember this the, the thing I quite enjoyed, sort of enjoyed. Uh, about two weeks later, there was the Norfolk Naughty Run when 30,000 people gathered at midnight and ran through farmers' fields. Um, and um, they enjoyed it, and probably the farmers didn't. 30,000 is a bit different from Theresa May, I imagine. But here, this is just silly. It's a madness. The Lord had said, here's a gift to his people in the Old Testament, the Sabbath, from sunset Friday, sunset Saturday. Don't work. Just focus on enjoying me. Get together with your families. Enjoy food. Enjoy. But the... By tradition had built up, and so by this point in uh, history, the, the Pharisees had constructed a list of 39 things prohibited to do on the Sabbath. And this all made up sort of accoutrement on top of uh, what God had promised. So what does a gift enjoy became a, no, 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 no. My favorite, I was reading some of these, my favorite, you're not allowed to journey on the Sabbath. A journey was defined as 2,000 steps. So 1,999 steps, you're fine. 2,000 steps, I just thought that is a disaster for Fitbit that had been put right out of business, wouldn't they? You know, all these sort of fitness trackers, you know, there's evidence that you've broken the law. Um, but, um, I mean, it's just a madness. But here, so what has Jesus, not Jesus specifically, but his disciples done? They've begun to pick some ears of corn and the Pharisees say, ha ha, look at that, you've broken the law. And... And they haven't. I mean, you're not meant to harvest, says Moses in the Old Testament, on the Sabbath. But there are no combine harvesters here, or you know, you know, even um, scythes. Thank you, uh, scythes taking down the corn. The disciples—they're just having a little nibble on the way through. Okay, so they're not really breaking any rules at all. So it's all a bit pathetic. What's going on? And this criticism. But then Jesus comes back with a slightly strange response. So, um, I mean, an entirely appropriate response would have been a roll of the eyes 
or uh, show me that in the Bible where you can't pick a, you know, you can't pick an ear of corn. He could have done that, and um, you know, if he was British, a bit of sarcasm um, would have gone down a treat, no doubt. But he gives this surprising answer verse uh, uh, 25. He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God, ate the consecrated bread, which was lawful only for priests to eat, and he gave some to his companions. Now, you don't need to know the details. 1 Samuel 21, you can read it. King David and his followers, they're on the run for their lives. They're tired. They're exhausted. They nip into the house of God. Oh, there's some bread. Let's have it, because we're starving, and they eat it, and they shouldn't do, because really it's only the priests that are meant to do it. Okay, that's it. That's what happened. Now, it's a slightly odd comment for Jesus to make, because, yes, David broke a rule, but it was nothing to do with the Sabbath. So, you know, if um, it's a bit like, oh, you, you know, you, you're stopped for driving, and... Um, at 22 miles an hour in a 20 mile an hour zone because 20 is plenty apparently these days and, um, and the policeman pulls you over and said you were doing 22 and he said yes you say to him but you lied to your mother last week didn't you <laughs> so what's that it's got nothing to do with it what's that got to do with anything you, I might have done mm-hmm. um, it's just a slightly strange answer uh, yeah we know David did that but, but what that's nothing to do with this but the point is It's a gift, the Sabbath. Sometimes, you know, David was hungry. He broke a law because he was hungry. It's okay. It's okay. The laws are not meant to be burdensome. They're meant to help you. The Sabbath in the Old Testament, it was a gift to enjoy. It's not meant to be burdensome. God said, enjoy this day. Dwell upon the fact that I love you, that I've rescued you. And you've perverted it into... That's just the wrong way around. Well, let me try and put it in these terms. A while ago, my uh, father-in-law uh, um, paid for uh, his children, spouses, their kids, to all go away on holiday. Lovely. Very generous for a week, flights and hotel and food. Lovely. Um, retirement, he was retired. And, you know, we probably won't do this again. Great. Very, very generous. It was a gift. And the rules, such as they were, were... Um, have a good time. That was the main rule. Uh, and uh, should we get together for dinner every night? But otherwise, everyone do whatever you want during the day. And yeah, Great. Um, pretty minimal. Now, very generous, a gift to be enjoyed. Now, what would have been a bit perverse is if in our immediate family, I got a bit nervous. And so said to everyone, right, come on, get up, get up, get up, get up. We, got, we must be at breakfast when it opens at 7 o'clock um, to eat as much as possible. Um, because if we get to breakfast, like, late... Grandpa will think we're like taking advantage of him. And um, we're allowed to sit in the sun for two hours a day, but two hours and five minutes is probably too much. And Grandpa will think we're lazy and uh, um, uh, not enjoying things. And um, uh, in fact, uh, I'm a bit nervous. Um, he's going to kick us off the holiday. So let's whip together our euros and buy him a big ice cream. And um, we, we do, eventually, Grandpa, father-in-law says... I think you misunderstood something here. You seem anxious. I've given you this holiday. It's a gift. You don't have to demonstrate that you're worthy. You don't have to buy my affection. To be honest with you, 
given the cost of this holiday, buying one ice cream, it's a bit patronising. Um, it's not really equivalent um, to what I've done for you. Can you just enjoy the gift? That's sort of what's going on here. The Sabbath was made for man, says Jesus, a gift. A gift to remind the people that God had saved them. And so just stop work and enjoy him on that day. And then Jesus says, verse 28, And I am, the title user himself, the Son of Man. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So at this point Jesus is saying, And I'm going to redefine this day a little bit. Because to keep the Sabbath, you trust me. You receive salvation as a gift from me. It's still the case, of course, that plenty think that if I'm going to get into uh, God's heaven, I need to earn it. I need to get to breakfast early enough. I need to not spend too much time lying around in the sun. I need to buy God an ice cream or two. I need to actively persuade him that I'm worthy. And Jesus is saying, no, stop. You'll never be worthy enough. I'm the one who has lived a perfect life for you and will pay for everything you've done wrong. You just trust me. But don't we need to, no, no. You don't require me to, no, no. Just enjoy. Enjoy the gift. And plenty of Christians as well think, well, I, I know I'm a Christian. I know God has done it. I know Jesus has done it for me. I know I'm destined for heaven, but probably I need to do something to guarantee God's favor, right? I know I'm a Christian. I trust in Jesus, and I sing about that. But every so often, I've got to buy an ice cream for him, haven't I? Otherwise, he won't still love me. I mean, actually, at the moment, emotionally, I feel quite a long way from the Lord. If I buy him an ice cream, if I volunteer for something, if I go without something now, then I can come back in, right? And emotionally, we can think that. And Jesus is saying, can you receive what I've done for you as a gift? It is a gift. He has done everything. Trust him. So the Sabbath was made for man. And Jesus says, what that means now is receive this gift of what I've done for you. I've lived a perfect life. I've paid for all you've done wrong. Receive that as a gift. So the Sabbath was made for man. And then alongside that, the next, the next little incident, the Sabbath reveals our hearts in uh, chapter 3 and verses 1 to 6. So same day, I think, is the presumption here. But um, uh, it goes like this. Chapter 3, verse 1. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Now, I think if you were making a film or a movie of Mark at this point, the, the, the music would have to change at this point. I think you'd pick up the pace. And the difference here in this little section, chapter 3, 1 to 6, is that Jesus is driving the action. So in the previous chapter, two, the end of chapter 2, there's an incident that the Pharisees observe. And now he, he wants a confrontation. So uh, he goes into the synagogue and this is the only place in Mark's gospel where Jesus initiates a healing. 
Every other time people come to him, they come to him, they come to him. This is the only point. This man with the shriveled hand, he's not there saying, hey, Jesus, can you do something for me? Jesus goes in and says, you stand up in front of everyone. So thus far in Mark's gospel, people have come to him. Jesus has healed in private. Now it's, okay, I'm going to do this in front of everyone. And let's see what happens. It's a bit like a courtroom scene, I think. Uh, the, the, the synagogue is the court, and Jesus is the prosecutor, and the Pharisees are on trial, and the man with the withered hand is a witness, and what's going to happen in this scenario? It's an intentional confrontation at this point, I think, to reveal their hearts. He drives the action. So he presents these things and um, uh, uh, says then this question, chapter 3, verse 4. Jesus asked them, the Pharisees, okay, we're talking about the Sabbath. Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. Jesus is confronting them here. You Pharisees, you've made this gift of God into a misery for people. The Sabbath is a day, it was meant to refresh the tired. It was meant to restore the broken. It was a day to remember that the lost had been reconciled with God. And you turned it into a misery, a burden. You, you, You want to make people prove that they're worthy by keeping your 39 rules um, rather than enjoying what I've done. I enjoyed one commentator's comments. He put it, the Pharisees' hearts were more shriveled than the man's hand. It's a helpful comment, I think. They're more concerned with looking good than with doing good and caring for this bloke. So that's why Jesus, verse 5, he's angry. He looked around at them, chapter 3, verse 5. He looked around at them, the Pharisees, in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Distressed in the sense of grieved, other translations put it. He's grieved. So it's, these two in, it's quite interesting at this, I think, an insight into the emotional life of the Lord Jesus. He's angry with them and grieved, both. Interesting that. Angry, angry with their pride. Angry that they don't want to help. Angry that they've taken this gift of God and rather than trust Him, they've said, Well, that's all good, but actually, we'd rather do it our way. We'd rather demonstrate that we're worthy by keeping these 39 rules. And to be honest, some people aren't. We're quite proud of who we are, and we'd rather walk into hell proud than get down on our knees and say, help, and get to heaven. And that attitude angers Jesus. Their unwillingness to help on the Sabbath, their concern to look good rather than do good, angers Jesus. But alongside that, it's striking, he's deeply distressed, he's grieved because he still loves them. There's a sense, I think, I think at this point, it's a bit like a parent watching their child do something daft and you can't stop it. 
you, you watch your teenager in slow motion do something, you, you think, oh, what are you doing? And the parent is angry because they care so much and they think it's going to cause harm. And they're deeply distressed because they love them. It's both come together. But Jesus can do that perfectly. Us parents can't. And that's what's going on. Jesus doesn't want anyone, even a Pharisee, to be excluded from his kingdom. So he's angry with their attitude, their pride, but grieved at the same time. But do you see, do you see it's a test? <laughs> the, the Sabbath at this point, it just reveals their hearts. What, what you make of this offer that Jesus makes reveals what's in your heart. Do you think, to be honest, I want to be worthy? To be honest, I, I want to demonstrate that I can earn a, my place in God's affections and a place in his heaven. Or do you say, well, I've got no chance on my own. I need Jesus. I need his perfect life. I need him to pay for what I've done wrong. He's worthy, I'm not, I'm with him. What does your heart say? The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath reveals our hearts last. Come to the Lord of the Sabbath that Jesus is. What does that mean? Let me give you three little things uh, and then we're done. Three little things. What it means to come to Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath. First, you become a Christian. Now, most of you have done that. But first thing is you become a Christian. That is the most fundamental way you rest, you honor his Sabbath. You never get to heaven on your own labors. You have to stop trusting in your own goodness. Trust in Jesus. He has won that for you. He is worthy of God's love, worthy of reigning with the Lord forever. And he says, come and share that with me as a gift. So I guess in this passage, there's a warning. You can keep lots of religious rules, but your heart can be far from God and you won't like it. That's the warning of the passage. The joy of the passage is, if you're honest, none of us, none of us keep the rules we even require of ourselves. But it's okay. Jesus has kept everything perfectly. And so the Lord's love for you, his affection for you, depends upon him, not upon you. That's the encouragement. So the first thing, the way you come to the Lord is, is on the Sabbath is you become a Christian. Secondly, a little bit harder, you keep resting on him. Now let's not be naive. For those of us who are Christians, there's an ebb and flow to the Christian life. We know it's perfectly possible to keep lots of religious rules and habits but have a heart far from the Lord. We all know that at points. That may not be true at the moment. But if you think, no, that's never been true of me, I'd be surprised. I'd love to spend more time with you. But I think you may be deceiving yourself because we can all drift into that at points. We have a heart which is drifting from the Lord and think, oh, well, what's required now is that I buy a few more ice creams. <laughs> I earn my way back into God's affection. That's never the way back in. The way back in is... Just to turn to Jesus. And so I've recognized again, I need you. I'm so relieved that your work guarantees God's affection for me. If you become a Christian, you've got to keep resting on him. And third little thing, one way to help with that is to stop work and give thanks. Stopping work one day a week is still an expression I trust you, Lord, 
and not myself. Now, which day, I don't, I don't think that particularly matters, and Christians have disagreed over time, but just some time, it's an indication of faith. You take a day off of work, of your normal activities, and it is saying, I'm a creature made to rest upon my maker. There is more to life than work. God has provided for me a palace in time where I can retreat and focus on him and remember that I'm a creature, be reminded that I need him, that I come to him and he refreshes me. Oh, thank goodness for that. And then go back to normal labors and activity. Here is special time. I treat it differently and I remember the Lord. I look forward to being with him. As one writer put it, God gave us six days to tame the world. He gave us one day to care for the seed of eternity placed in our soul. Really enjoyed that. (laughs) One day to remember we're not made for this world. We'll pass through it and we're going somewhere else. And unless you take time to remember that, you forget that this world is not our home. Six days to tame the world, one day to care for the seed of eternity placed in our soul. Which day, it doesn't matter so much, but you've got to take time off. For some of us, and um, feel free, if you know me well, to raise an eyebrow at me and say, really, Matt? For some of us, being overly busy is perhaps a way of, well demonstrating how useful we are, uh, a way of proving our worth, of perhaps asserting a little bit of our godlike status, pretending that we're omniscient, we know everything, omnipresent, we can be everywhere and can do everything, perhaps, and time off is a reminder that's not true. The Lord is in charge. What do you do on, on the time you take off? Well, at least, I guess it must be time when we pull away from work and other activities and feast upon the Lord. It's really useful if on your day off, you gather with church to help them remind you that you're going to eternity, that the Lord has rescued you, and the Lord Jesus guarantees your love. That's just really helpful. Hasn't always been possible in church history. This is what I learned. Uh, I'm I'm lied earlier. I'm going to tell you a little bit. But for the first three centuries, there was no Sabbath. Because you know, you're under occupation, you can't, you can't just, do you know what, I think I'm going to take, boss, I'm going to take a day off today. Yeah, when you say boss, you mean master and you're a slave, so can you just get on with your work, please? You didn't have that privilege, it's only in the fourth century when that becomes possible. And that, anyway, no, no, no. But um, it's not always possible to do it. But of course, that's the best thing to do, I think. The most helpful way, the New Testament would say, to be encouraged to look at the Lord Jesus and to look forward to eternity is to gather together. Presumably, if you can do that, it'll involve that. Some of us have to work on Sundays in uh, catering or medics and things, of course, but um, that's always helpful. Presumably, from this passage and in church history, people have thought the Sabbath is a good day or Sunday is a good day for visiting someone in need who can't make it to church. And together with them, pointing them to Jesus, that's a good thing to do. But it must mean there's time in each and every week where we put aside our normal labors and we say, I am not worthy of God's affection or a place in his heaven, but Jesus has won it for me and that's where I'm going. And you have to cultivate that. Six days to tame the world. 
one day to care for the seed of eternity placed in your soul. A day when you say, I depend upon Jesus for my salvation. But more than that, for my strength to keep going. For my sanity in a busy world. But do you see, when Jesus says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, this gift that God gave his people in the Old Testament, it was a shadow, this shadow of rest, a day a week. But I'm the one who casts the shadow. You come to me to find salvation. Yes, you come to me to find forgiveness of sin. But along with that, you come to me to calm the relentless anxieties of your heart. You come to me to still your brain from worrying about the troublesome circumstances of life. You come to me and you know who I am as Lord. And you know what I've done for you. And you know where you're going. And you look at me and I give you rest. But you do have to do it. You have to keep on embracing this gift. Salvation once for all. But stillness for your soul, calmness for your heart, you've got to keep coming to me. This day is the shadow. I'm the one who casts it, says Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again that you're generous, that you're kind, that you care so deeply for us. Yes, Jesus can be angry with stubborn hearts that refuse to receive salvation as a gift, that place burdens upon others, but you care deeply, it grieves you as well. Father, would we fundamentally keep this fourth commandment, rest by putting our faith in the Lord Jesus and For those of of us who are Christians, keep on doing that. There is a discipline to receiving this gift. And Father, we need help. Thank you that in your wisdom, you've given us one another. Gathering one another is great. Time off to rejoice in who you are is needed to live this way. Father, help us to embrace your kind gift in the Lord Jesus Christ of rest for our souls. We do ask in his name. Amen.